from Rixie, this is Frameform. And we're back for another season of movies, moving, and everything in between. We covered a lot of ground in season one, and this year, we're digging even deeper. From conversations and cautionary tales with fellow dance and filmmakers. So people don't like what I do or what I do. I don't care, it's my life. It's taken me a long time to get to this one, like a very long time. To talking trends and tricks of the trade. To me, obvious advantage is that you can slip this in and out of your pocket and just film as the muse calls. I start like focusing on the post sound and it opened up a world for me that I loved it. And our ever-evolving culture of creating and sharing. New episodes every Wednesday. Always relevant and on demand. Thank you everyone for joining us this week. We have a very exciting topic that many of you might already have some experience with and a very special guest who some of you also might know. Today, we are discussing dance filmmaking for mobile phones. Even if you don't have access to like an Ari or like a really fancy boom mic, iPhones nowadays and Androids as well have everything you need to make your own little short film. And naturally, thanks to the pandemic, we've been seeing a lot of these films shot on mobile phones lately. And we're happy this week to be joined by someone who is an expert in dance films created for mobile devices, Andrew Chapman. Welcome, Andrew. Hi. And the crowd goes wild. If you are driving, (laughs) please be careful. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Self-admittedly, I'd be careful with the word expert, but uh, enthusiast, perhaps. Well, you do... You do curate a festival dedicated to it. So I think that if anyone is an expert, it's probably you, sir. (laughs) Andrew, can you tell us about what you do and what the festival you work with? Yes. I am the founder and creator of the Mobile Dance Film Festival. We screen dance films that have been shot solely on mobile devices, so smartphones or tablets. Does that include editing or is it shot specifically? And I'm sure you've been asked this question. (laughs) Yes, of course. Uh, A lot of inquiries on the website are around this question. Shot specifically, solely on mobile devices. Editing techniques can be far and wide. However... We have gotten a few films so far that have been shot, edited, totally produced directly on smart. Wow. It can definitely be done. It can definitely be, it can absolutely be done. It's not the requirement. The big requirement is that the footage captured is shot with a mobile device. It's funny because when we were... When we brought up this topic and I was doing some research about just smartphone filmmaking, I was like, what an incredible challenge. And then when you're saying right now, like you got some films that were also edited on there, like as an editor myself by like job, I would kill myself (laughs) if I had to like work with my two little fingers on a small screen just like trying to manipulate by scrolling back and forth where I'm going to cut. And I'd at least things. need a tablet. Like at least give me a tablet size yeah. to work with. Okay. I need that much. Imagine yourself texting. How many times you have to go back or uh, respell a word, autocorrect. Like, I mean, now, now you're editing footage. You're going through multiple clips. Most likely you're, dragging and dropping and importing all on your little screen, mm-hmm. it blows my mind. It's great for, I mean, it's amazing from a software standpoint that this it, this yes. kind of technology exists on a mass consumer level and like schools are equipped with this. Like it's yeah. insane, you know, and children are extremely literate with this technology. So it is yep. kind of a, a great gateway, but I think working at a professional level, 
thinking about your festival, it makes it a lot, it, it opens things up a lot more and I think would be less tedious. And I, I think ultimately would elevate the, the production quality and the final result if you're able to also use other technology for editing and post-production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. But there's so much you can do shooting on a phone, and especially Absolutely. compared to what phones used to be. I mean, they used to just be car phones or landlines or flip phones, Motorola Razor. Imagine that razors. that brick from Saved by yeah. the Bell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like shooting in 4K. It just wouldn't happen. And now, and now we are shooting in 4K in, from our yeah. pocket. On a yeah. mobile device. New- Remember when yeah. it used to be a Handycam and like... Not even that long ago. It's just amazing yeah. how quickly the technology evolves. Yeah, yeah. The new Android is apparently uh, has the the capacity to shoot 8K. Apparently, which I have. Why? Unless you're... Exactly. Just why? <laughs> Are you like making Iron Man whatever number that they haven't done yet? Because like, I've worked with a company for a while where we were shooting every ad in 8K, and I'm like. But we're not doing that much graphics. I mean, I I just don't understand why would you do that on a Well, they're they're all making mobile dance films. (laughs) (laughs) They are making mobile dance films. And keep keyframing the crap out of it. (laughs) If they're making these 8K films, I mean... Jumping into the first question, why use a smartphone over a regular camera? I mean, that's a very good question. I think... Are there any advantages? Like, are there any particular advantages? Yeah. I think the one, to me, obvious advantage is that you can slip this in and out of your pocket and just film... As the muse calls, you can answer it literally on your phone. Um, yes. So I think that is the biggest advantage. I think that's the that's one of the initial inspirations for the festival was this idea that you didn't need to work around a cinematographer's schedule. You didn't need to wait around to schedule your inspiration that if you saw something and if something was hitting you'd take your phone out of your pocket and film your film your film so i think that's the biggest advantage as far as the technology though you know it's like now that the technology is catching up with these devices it's sort of like dslr camera versus smartphone i mean it's the same 4k is 4k 8k is 8k it doesn't change per device so really in my mind it's sort of like why not have a small device? That whole idea of scheduling people and paying people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. you save a little bit on overhead there. Even though these phones are, as the technology continues to advance, the price point of these phones, you know, that was the biggest thing when we started was, oh, well, it's a phone. Everybody has one. That thinking has shifted drastically in four years because these phones are now $1,000, $1,200 phones. Mm-hmm. So you're like, gosh, right. even the access we were hoping to promote, this idea of opening up so many doors for people who just can take out their phone, I mean, even that has changed. But still, generally, you have access to a phone. You literally taking your art into your own hands. And I think that is the biggest advantage for especially young filmmakers, for people working within very, very tight budgets. That's that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, it really allows you to work, I mean, to really learn the craft of filmmaking with very little room for error. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, I'm a professional videographer myself, and just thinking as far as, like, the setups of of. The whole process of setup for a camera is insanely difficult and multi-step. And if one setting is off, then your your film's gone. Your footage is gone. Like, you know, it takes well over an hour and a half to set up you know, cameras and like get, getting the lighting just right. And the user-friendliness of the phone really helps distill the process of filmmaking to crafting the story. Like you really are, you're really capturing at the answer of the muse and you're really you have that leeway to figure out how this story can get crafted and you don't have to spend, you know, two hours setting up a shot to do that. 
Right. I mean, great ideas make great films. Big budgets mm-hmm. and technology don't make great films. Listen, you could you could spend a hundred million dollars on a flop. Yes, that's true. It's crazy the timing of this. When we first had the idea in 2018, I remember the Oscars that year. Ava DuVernay was on the Oscars and she said on national television, you have a camera in your pocket that you can make a film with right now. And like she had just she had just scored her first hundred million dollar budget film. So you've got this like megawatt star telling people during the Oscars to use their phones to make films. I saw that. I was like, it's a sign. This this means that we're on the right track. Um but it's it's true. I mean, I, I you know, Claire, exactly what you said about storytelling, and I think this is one of the questions that we'll get to. Maybe we're getting into it right now. <laughs> I truly believe that good film, dance film or otherwise, for me, story driven. Yep. Totally about story, about narrative, whether it's linear or not about relationship to the camera. And and for me, you can achieve that with any piece of technology or any lack of technology as long as you're setting your intention and your mind to good storytelling. That's what film is. I agree. It's definitely a lot to take in, and I think that's the most important part of putting together any type of project, whether it's film or not film. And I just wanted to go into our first film of the night as we're talking about like substance and what works and what doesn't work. But we picked two films for this conversation because we wanted to talk about more about the technology as well as the, what you, how you can use your phone, your own thing in your pocket in your hand that you stare at every day (laughs) but uh let's go into our first film of tonight so we have one which i would say is a quintessential you could tell it's made with a phone this is not a creative title whatsoever but it just kind of demonstrates the technology and the art form of i would say any kind of dance film here which is a Nicole Wolcott in Washington Square Park by Rami Shafi. This artist actually has a project where he films lots of dancers and dance company people in parts of New York and other places in the world. So there's dance portraits. And uh, he's worked with a lot of big artists, including Kyle Abraham, including... Kyle Abraham, Larry Keegan, and Raja Feather Kelly, some pretty big artists. But we have a dancer, Nicole Wolcott, dancing through Washington Square Park of New York City. You could say this is what we would expect in uh, an environment like this. I mean, all of a sudden we have a dancer and she's integrating herself in the environment, going into the fountain, talking to strangers. What do you all think about the use of a cell phone instead of a regular camera in this kind of landscape? I feel like it gives it a really vintage throwback vibe, especially because the actual flow of the picture is kind of choppy and there's this edited, like there's this filter to the coloration. It just feels like kind of like a slice of life film. And when I think of it in that way, I'm able to like really enjoy it a lot more too, because I am guilty of being, I don't want to say a screen dance snob, but there's just, you know, we've all got our preferences. And our last episode, Andrew was actually on um, warehouse, warehouses as settings. (laughs) You know, we've all got our things that we love and we maybe don't love. And for me, I'm just not a big dancing in public person, but when all these elements come together in this film, I kind of enjoy it a a little bit more. Yeah, I also wanted to comment on the spontaneity of it, which uh, is my understanding that this film project, like every film is improvised. Mm -hmm. And being able to do, I'm just thinking like, if you had a huge 
like even if you had a huge Ari following this dancer, you wouldn't get that same spontaneity from the observers in the park. You wouldn't you wouldn't be able to take that camera into the water. Like that's another advantage to having iPhones that many are waterproof that you yeah. again, like that room for error is so is not going to bite you. You're truly mobile. <laughs> truly, truly. And there's like and because of that and because people are may not be familiar with seeing like a huge camera with a dancer, but they sure are familiar seeing a mobile phone with a dancer. And it really does provide the space for this communal experience. Totally. So yeah, Rami's Rami's project, Pedestrian Wanderlust. These are all one take. This is all one shot. I think going back to that idea of story, his narrative is very clear. One shot in life, spontaneous movement narrative. But isn't it interesting that you said story is super important for you, and here we have a film with no words, <laughs> like no text, no narrative, and and he landmarks it, and it's so well choreographed that like you actually feel like it has a structure. Exactly, because I think the mm-hmm. story is in that structure. You know, I I was in I was in a couple of pedestrian water lust with Rami. He's a friend and I've done a couple and we map out the route. Yes. Right. And so you map out the route, you kind of get an idea of where you're going to go and then it's press record and you just go. And I'm telling you the athleticism with which Rami, Mm -hmm. he occupies an athleticism in filming these things that is that is wild to me. He's moving forwards. He's moving backwards, side to side, in yeah. and out. Plie. I mean, whether or not it's water or people, his athleticism is truly a sight to behold. And I think it's in that structure of his relationship with how he's moving with the camera, the pathway or you know where where everybody's going, where they're getting to. That to me is story because it has a very clear, you know, start and finish. It's mindful. It's intentional. There's relationship there. There's potential conflict there, which drives storytelling and narrative. And dancing in public is, you know, you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. And that I'll, I'll save I'll save a piece of that for after we talk about the second film. I want to say something about both films, but. In that structure, it's not a linear narrative per se, but there is story there. There is there's something that begins and ends with a lot of rich material in between. And and on I mean, just the fact that he presses record, does the whole thing, it blows my mind. This is one take. Yeah. That's hard no matter who you are, where you're filming, <laughs> what you're filming with. What kind of stabilizer or other equipment is being used in addition None. to the phone? Oh, so Whoa. so wow. Okay, oh, wow. that's like next level. Then yeah, I like was I agreed. I was accepting everything you were saying. I was like, yes, as a cinematographer, I know the athleticism. I am one of the dancers. But the fact that I just watched that and there was no stabilizer kind of changes things and like amplifies what you just said. I know at least for the ones that I did, he freehanded the whole thing. Wowie, dang. And, and I think that I think that says a lot too about his relationship with the camera. He he's a trained dancer, which is why yeah. I love when dancers become filmmakers because it's this like full body awareness mm-hmm. where you know that you're not just filming with your wrists and your fingers. You know that you are yeah. holding your core, you're stabilizing your legs, you're moving your arms from your back. You're really using yeah. your whole body. An embodied camera, which is what exactly. we talk about, is so effective visually on yes. screen. Embodying the yes. camera, which is what I think makes dance film, dance film. Yes. That the yes. dance and the embodiment happens on every single level possible. Yeah. Anytime that you can incorporate some sort of movement or dance awareness, that is what makes this art specific and genre-defining as dance film to me. Yes. Amen. We can cut. There, we're done. We don't need to talk about this anymore. Just kidding. (laughs) Good night, everyone. (laughs) With the whole use of the camera and his body, I mean, 
it's pretty much the camera is an extension of him. I mean, with an iPhone or any whatever device he's using, it's so lightweight that you are able to just kind of free flow with it and not able to use any other equipment with that thing. You're, you know, another part of your brain kind of turns on. It's like, I got to you know, think about the lens. I, I can't go this low or I can't break it. You're thinking about money, but when it's like your own technology that you use on a daily basis, you know, it just kind of comes a part of you. I mean, like how many people do we see in a day just holding their phone in their hand? And yeah, like I said, extension of the body of your mind. So like moving your wrist or anything like that, it's just going to come natural. And also with the phone, and maybe I alluded to this the first, when we first started talking about this film, but also just the dialogue between the mover and the, and the cinematographer is just so connected. Like there really, there really is a sense of a dialogue there. It isn't, you know, someone barking from behind the camera, go there, do a move there, do a move there. And it has one of those things where, as yeah, Andrea, as you mentioned, like you, you could sense that there was a score involved. Like you can sense that there was a trajectory, but the ending had one of those moments. Like whenever you're developing like an improvisational score, like when things click, it just had that incredible, that feeling. And I love that ending where we actually see the footprints coming from the fountain as well. That really emphasizes that, you know, this, you know, cameras, this camera's person, like this camera's human. This is uh, not a blind eye. An extremely human perspective and 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 on a practical standpoint when it comes to continuity you know how easy for a one shot you just you see exactly where you came from so i mean just on like a just on like a practical filmmaking thing easy continuity there (laughs) because it's like hard, hard to deny but yeah there's there's great perspective there and it's it's as if the camera has become the improv partner or the, you know, frolicking partner of this experience <laughs> out in the park, you know. And and the fact that Rami focused his filmmaking on this. He he really and since his first pedestrian wanderlust, which was with my boyfriend, Aaron Moses Robin, um oh, nice. the very first shout out. shout out, the very first pedestrian wanderlust to the films that he's making now. The evolution there, even in this structure that he's set up, is is really amazing to watch as well. So even even when you give yourself a very niche specificity, there's still room to grow in that, which I think is what makes it so artful and wonderful too, just to name. That might have been tangential, but... No, not at all. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> well, speaking of artful, our next film, I think, represents what... I don't want to overhype it, but I don't think I can. I would say like the cinematic pinnacle for films shot on a smartphone. We're moving the pendulum to the other side yeah. of the spectrum, basically. Yeah. yeah. Like, wow, just cinematic excellence. The next film we're going to be talking about is called A Guide to Breathing Underwater by Raven Jackson. Now, full disclosure, as we were preparing for this episode, I actually had not seen this film, but I had heard and seen a lot of Raven Jackson's other work. And I was actually kind of surprised to see her name in the mix of iPhone filmmaking because she's primarily known for creating work for 8mm and 16mm film. She um, has actually a few films, including this film, uh, in the Criterion Collection, and also had another film that made the rounds last year that was an eight millimeter film piece called Rudder, which is a beautiful poetic use of, you know, the eight millimeter um, form. I think I, I was fortunate enough to program and see Rotor on a big screen uh, in DC at Capitol Dance Cinema Festival last October, 2020. And I mean, the fact that you can see this film shot on an older technology and have it look so gorgeous on a big screen really speaks to her skill level as well. And I think this film is is a great example of what I said earlier of, you know, great ideas 
make a great film, not necessarily big technology or big budgets. And I think something that's so comforting and familiar about this film is right away you start with these, you know, establishing shots of New York City. And it just feels like Raven speaking with this familiar cinematic language so that even though it's shot on this little device that fits in your pocket, it's got this big city and like big screen vision to it that just pulls you right in. A Guide to Breathing Underwater was our very first submission ever. The We opened for submissions. This was the very first film in the submission inbox on year one, day one, period. Wow. Oh my gosh. When I opened this, I was like, wow, we are really onto something here. And knowing that she primarily worked on film, it made me feel like there was a reason why we started this festival. Mm-hmm. That artists of her caliber... And and also to say, this film was conceived, choreographed, and danced by Donald C. Shorter, who is also, mm-hmm. you know, n- just incredibly Sorry. moving, extraordinary. But... Um, to know that this was the very first film that was submitted to the Mobile Dance Film Festival, I, I watched it and and I, I, it was just like, wow, we are really onto something here. And if this is if this is the caliber of film that one can be made on a phone, then I know mm-hmm. that what we're doing is totally legit. It's it it was such an affirmation to me to see this film, which I think is nothing short of divine. I mean, truly. Yes. I was going to say, I was going to be like your your kooky aunt that was like, you know, that's something. That That's yeah. the stars aligning. <laughs> it's as close to a perfect film as it gets, dance film or otherwise, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, yes. the quality edited by Felipe Vara de Rey. I mean, I don't know if Felipe is a dancer, but there was such clear continuity in the edits, in the cuts, in the action of Donald, in the direction of Raven. I mean, every single element came together in movement relationship. And I just, it still boggles my mind that this is part of our archive and not just part of the very first submission. (laughs) So cool. That is awesome. The very first trailer we have on our Instagram, like the very first film that we got was that. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) what? Definitely a surprise. Well, okay, so this was my first time seeing this film. And at first I was a little confused because I was like, okay, this is shot on a smart device and I can't tell at all. And it's funny because when I, again, I like doing this play on Google searching, like just shot on iPhone, shot on smartphone devices, just on Google, just to see what pops up. And it's really funny to see that not a lot of people like to advertise that they don't, that they shot their film on something that was, you know, not a regular cinema or DSLR camera. And I was ready to see that at the very end of these credits that it was shot on that. And I don't understand why more people aren't praising that technology that they're like advertising it. I mean, if we look at, you know, regular films that we would watch on Netflix or even at a film festival, people love to celebrate that they shot something on Red, Ari, Canon, whatever Mm -hmm. kind of exactly big device on that but when we look at films like you know the one of the biggest tangerine when that came out it was such a hit and it was like shot on iphone shot on something that wasn't this what do you think about more people using that as like kind of like a bait to watch that film shot on iphone shot on samsung shot on pixel android I feel like we already see so much dance, especially with TikTok now. Like we see so much dance shot on 
on our phones. And I think we consume so much media for our phones that sometimes when we want to watch something that's more like artistically elevated or, you know, back when we could go to the theater, when we would see something on a big screen, the idea of taking something shot on a small screen to watch on a big screen, maybe initially didn't, not everyone thinks of it in like a intellectualized way like you just did there, right? Like not everyone's looking at those patterns or seeing the value. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to point. I'm of a couple of minds on that. You know, one being hashtag shot on iPhone is like one of the biggest hashtags ever. And, you know, a lot of the life of Mobile Dance Film Festival happens on social media. So first of all, Tangerine was a huge inspiration because I had only seen Tangerine in mm-hmm. 2017. It was made in 2015. I saw it in 2017. It got, oh, wow. it kind of got my gears going about, mm. oh my gosh, people making <laughs> movies with their iPhones, iPhone 5S, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Sean Baker making a mm. iPhone 5S movie. Right. Um, which had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for a couple of years. I think it's down a couple points now. But um, I I think it's, you know, one, I don't know why people leave it out, but I'd say, you know, it's it's great to say. I think, though, what it, what it probably comes down to, and I'm not sure, I haven't really, I haven't really framed it this way or thought of it this way, but I think when it comes to the way people perceive how art is made and this, you know, the idea of elevated art. Um, The word legitimizing comes to mind when it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you shot... Like, for example, I had a conversation with a filmmaker and we were talking about my festival. (laughs) And she said something along the lines of... Oh yeah, I can make a I can make a little film on my phone and then I'll just save the big stuff for the DSLR. And I'm just oh. like Ah, right. Okay. You know who you know who you're talking to right now, right? Like I could not advocate more for that being BS, right? Like right, yeah. um especially when you get things like Raven's movie. It just means she doesn't know. That's just a sign of legit yeah. like not knowing. I think it's something about wanting the film to speak over any sort of technology. And I think that's probably where my mind takes me the most is that I don't, while I advocate for it, while I have a festival for it, of course, like, it's the number one rule of getting into the festival. You have to shoot it on your smartphone. But at the end of the day, it also doesn't matter. I don't care what you shot it on at the end of the day. I'm not a tech nerd. I'm a dance film nerd. And Mm -hmm. um, I think at the end of the day, it might not matter. But I think for some people, it does matter. And I feel like for the people Mm -hmm. that it matters the most to, it's like presenters maybe or curators or something. And there's something about legitimacy that's coming into my brain that, um, that maybe that's why people are reticent to... But I guess what what my festival is aiming to do is is to be like, that's all nonsense. That's all noise. You shot this on your mm-hmm. Samsung, you shot this on your on your iPhone. Let's let's praise that. Let's elevate that. Yeah. Yeah. Because that opens the doors to these new filmmakers, to student filmmakers, to people who to anybody who's thinking to themselves gosh, I got to, I got to get a big camera. I got to get a cinematographer. I got to get lights on. It's like, not really. You got to have a really good story to tell, period. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so with you on that. And just as far, stay tuned. We're going to probably talk about this next week, but the newfound emphasis people put on film stock is kind of in in an interesting juxtaposition against like how people sometimes denigrate mobile film footage. Like I've seen awful film shot on 16 millimeter that people praise because, oh, it's on 16 millimeter now. And and it's the kind of thing where like that's kind of become a trend. And um, even if the work's not great, people still praise it because like, oh, you know, they're bringing you know, the real stuff back in a way. 
But going along those lines, something that was um, that I thought showed a lot in this film, knowing Raven's background in film work, is the economy of the shots and like the specificity of choices. Because if you're working with film or if you're working with film in a thoughtful way, you have to be super economical with what you use because you have a finite amount of media to work with. You don't have room for scratch takes or for, you know, second guest ideas. Like you have to be very clear. And it was interesting here seeing her direct work in a media that, you know, does, I mean, again, does have some room for error that does, you know, have that, you, you know, you can retake something. You can, you know, scratch out and delete something. You can have a bit of play and don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to keep the film at a certain temperature or keep it away from water or anything like that. Like you really yeah. have that. It's funny, the words clear, strong, and choices were all in my first impressions for this film too. Like when I first started transitioning from dance student to choreographer, I realized pretty quickly that to have a clean dance or to even just structure a good class, it's just decision after decision after decision. Projects are like that and the creative process is like that. And I think this film really shows well how you can make you can plan clearly to get lots of angles and coverage and have your outfit like just looking right and pick the perfect street, you know, and then combine that with just piecing it together so well. I love, Andrew, that you shouted out all the different, well, not all, but, you know, many of the different collaborators because it really is a collaboration and all these different teammates have to have to do their part. And the editing really is so stellar. All the things combined like this, you know, it's, Different but similar to the last film we talked about, this reminded me of the City Symphonies of the 20s. It was just like in Technicolor. And yeah. honestly, like back in film school, that was my, and still is like one of my favorite things, just these instrumental like piano scores and just footage of, of real life. And, you know, this is like a a futuristic, amazing version of that with so much more like dynamics because the camera is so liberated and you see it in color and high definition and it's like the future compared to this old city I just love this film and I think it's an instant classic like to be honest like doesn't even matter what it was shot on but the fact that it was shot on a phone adds so much extra amazing context to it it's definitely it's it's one of those singular pieces that I I think that it will remain timeless in the minds of anybody who gets to see it. So you screen the films at 92Y then, right? So yeah, so you got to see this like in we got to see a big glory. big big screen because mm -hmm. we were we were in person in the the first year. Needless to say, this was the first submission. It was it became an official selection of the first year. <laughs> that was easy. Talking about decisions. <laughs> and yes, the 92nd Street Y is the home of the Mobile Dance Film Festival. And we got to screen it on the the big screen in Bootenweiser Hall there at the Harkness Dance Center. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just breathtaking on screen. I mean, Ravel, the music. <gasps> yes. That, oh, my gosh. Uh, the way the submissions come in, you know, the you get the link to the trailer and then the link to the film. And we, we recommend everybody send in a trailer um, because that's how we promote everybody. Whether you get, whether you're an official selection or not, your trailer is going to be seen. The minute I opened the trailer, it started with his fingers coming into frame. Literally saw the hands. That was the first thing I saw with Donald's hands. And I, and I just thought, this is brilliant. I mean, you just knew. And then, Watching the film, I, oh, I just, I, there aren't enough superlatives, honestly. And then we got to screen it on a big screen and it was just magnificent. That means you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah. It was a good first year. <laughs> yes. What I found so interesting about just the, these two films that we have placed side by side, I mean, like, they're both cell phone films one but also 2018 I don't I can't remember what kind of iPhone we were at or what technology of 
phone we were at either when it comes to the camera. But either way, like most of these people are shooting with one lens, like a wide lens. And it's just so interesting how the subject looks on camera with that one lens that most people have the same. I mean, you could buy accessories for your phone to elevate it and all, but it's very impressive of just like how things shift when you're just adding other things. I mean, with the first film, we just have like a filter and Mm -hmm. handheld where the other one, it's like a little bit more upgraded. There's probably some kind of steady gimbal situation set up. I mean, we have color grading. We have uh, editing. We have original score, you know, all of that played into it. I mean, it's the spectrum of just how we can make something and mold it. Yeah. You know, and especially in the in cell phones, I mean, one thing that we talk about a lot is landscape and portrait mode. Right. And I mean, personally, I want to I after exploring this topic, I I I am a favor of landscape, but I want to see some experimentations with portrait mode. We have we're we're getting some. That's good to right. hear. We should all go. <laughs> I've been teaching dance film for the past year because the pandemic has mm-hmm. short, sort of pivoted some things. And this comes up a lot yep. with students. You know, which is better? And it's like, you know what? It doesn't. To me, it's more about intentionality, continuity, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So whether you're going horizontal or vertical Maybe you're switching back and forth. Maybe you're playing around with whatever. Do it intentionally. It has to be in relationship to what you're shooting. It has to be in relationship to the movement of the camera. It has to have an artful, compositional, decision process-driven mind behind it. And then and then, no matter how you're holding it or what perspective you're getting, it's going to you know, that's, that's what it's going to be. So I think it just has a lot to do with the intention and the decisions behind it. But I'm all about, you know, experiment. You got a phone, you're making a film with a phone, do everything, you know, it's like, go for it. I think we're wrapping up. But one thing I have to say, because Hannah, when I think of film holistically, it's fun, you bring up 2018, and you bring up the technology, but I feel like, especially specifically with these two films, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about something. Not only has the technology changed, but you you said one lens, looking at this through one lens. I have to talk about how the world has changed and how my mm. my lens as a curator has changed since mm. 2018. Yes. And, and it's... I think it's beshared or meant to be that we have these two films here to talk about with this. Because when I think of filmmaking and dance film, it's a lot different than how I was thinking about it in 2018. Well, and the audience is different too, because the thing about the pandemic is we all are going through it. The audience, the the filmmakers, but my, my lens, because, you know, when I... When I see these films now, it's totally different than how 2018 was. I think in 2018, I was thinking, I started this festival, I'm looking for editing, story, I'm looking for camera, I'm looking for this, that, and the other. It was my positionality as a white male curator that kind of kept me from seeing so much more nuance. And I have to, mm-hmm. I really have to yeah. name that. When we see a guy breathing underwater, when we see a vibrant, illuminous, alive black man dancing freely and nakedly on the beach of the Atlantic Ocean, that says something totally different now to me as a white curator than it did in 2018. 
on the same mm-hmm. hand, when I see Nicole Walcott, vibrant, illuminous, alive, dancing freely as a white woman in a public space, engaging with strangers, taking the hand of a stranger, of a child in a, in a fountain, I see that so much more differently now. Would, would a non-white woman even attempt? Would that film even happen? If if it was if it wasn't for that kind of positionality, and I have to I have to name the fact that I think a lot of our a colleague of ours and whom I consider a dear friend of mine, Kara Hagen, did a yes. did a demographic study on MDFF Mobile Dance Film Festival, and it yeah. opened my eyes about demographics. And then she started talking about a film where two white dancers were running through the streets of New York, dancing freely, interacting with bystanders, strangers, going on subway platforms, sidewalks, the streets. And she said one very simple thing to me. She said, do you think that would have been the same film had it been non-white people? And I, Mm -hmm. it lifted some, it lifted such a veil of ignorance from my eyes as a curator, as someone who's like presenting this inclusive, accessible dance film, mobile dance film festival. I'm like, damn. And I went back after that conversation. I don't think I told, I don't think I talked to her about this, but I went back after that conversation and watched our archive of official selections. And I saw all of these films completely differently. I watched Guide to Breathing Underwater. I watched The Pedestrian Waterless. And I'm thinking to myself, what a privilege it was to not see them with any with any of these nuances that I'm seeing them now. And I and I just so when you say lens and 2018, Hannah, I, it like that kind of segued into me that thing that I wanted to talk about both of these films. You know that um, I feel like my responsibility as a curator, even in this even in this platform of access and mobile dance filmmaking, I I have such a deeper responsibility than I ever even thought I had in the way I communicate with the jury and how they're making the selections because the jury selects the films. Um, I work with another, I work with collaborators to do the show order, but the jury selects the films. What I was telling them up until this next year coming up, completely different than what I will tell them this year. And I think it's just important to note that as the technology changes, the world changes, the 100%. filmmaking changes. Yes. I mean, it it all needs to go together in this very holistic thing because then then we can truly practice what we're preaching about holistic dance filmmaking, full body movement. And it has to be about moving forward from the camera to the people, to the culture. And I, I just I just think it was really important for me to name that specifically oh yeah yeah acknowledging that i mean the demographics of dance film festivals are i mean not very like diverse or very inclusive at all like i think kara said as well like this is very much a field that seems to be dominated by white women under the guise of yeah under the guise of the sense of inclusivity and i think that a lot some or at least quite a bit of the gatekeeping that keeps mobile film down comes from, I mean, notions of white supremacy that comes from these, you know, notions of formalism and these, you know, this notion that there is like one, there, there is like a high way of doing this. But now with mobile films, like everybody has a way in. Everybody has, is able to create work. And yes, it's up to whoever's curating the work to really, really check themselves, really check whatever biases they have about work that's being created. Like, I mean, I remember when I was starting work to screen work at San Francisco and being like, oh, that's a 60 frames. Oh, that's a 60 frame film. And just putting all of these things, but like the, you know, the dancers saw the film as they saw the film. But I would even say that even, even in Mobile Dance Film Festival, with the data we collected, it the representation is still so skewed. I mean... 60 to 70% of the people showing up on the screen were white women. 
even in mobile, yeah. even in this festival, which I thought was like the most inclusive, the most accessible. It had it had my brain spinning around. Is this available to everyone? Is this yeah. actually what I'm exactly. saying it is? And and because I see by the numbers, by the demographics, by the actual data, that it's not as I thought. Mm-hmm. What can I do to change that narrative? To mm-hmm. to really get it to where I thought it was. So I mean, it's it's right. still a thing, even even for Mobile Dance Film Festival. Well, and to take it beyond our own borders, too. I mean, thinking about internationally the inequality that exists. And I know that when I'm looking at films from a different country, I need to factor in those economic things, you know, those realities. And we've had uh, we've talked a lot about Tanine on the show um, before, you know, and just how different countries really operate differently. And it affects what technology people have access to and how they're able to interact in public and and all these things. So right. um, we certainly have so many great examples in the U.S., but it's it's also interesting to see international examples as well. Yeah, that's a that's a huge one for me is the dancing in public. Once once Karen and I had that conversation, I was just like, oh wow. And me personally, I would just watch both, even the films, uh, the first film today in Washington Park and a film, Dancing Public, part of it is like, oh my gosh, if I were out that day and someone came up to me dancing with the camera, I would not be down. And I would not want that to be like in a festival. That's just my personality type. So I think that's why I have like an adverse reaction sometimes. But, um, and that's just an individual thing. That's not even... I'm not even factoring in like, who is this person coming up to me? It's like, I just don't want you coming up to me. And that's not even like, that's not even thinking about centuries of unconscious bias or um, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing too. So it's, yeah, it's still, it's all to say um, there's still work in the work that's really, it's humbling. It's a lot of Mm -hmm. unlearning and relearning on my part and specifically yeah. with these two films, talking about them together, it's just, it's it's a good conversation to have um, specifically with these two, I think, because it is, they were outside, they were, they're very different, both both oh wonderful. Gosh. Like, I, I just love both of these films. I love what Rami does. I mean, Raven created a masterpiece in my mind, but... You know, it's it's definitely a conversation that's ongoing, and um, and it's just wonderful to be able to have it and think critically about it, and in it, and it's something important for our fields, for our field to do. So, well, our conversation is much more uh, has been enriched by your presence here. Uh, um, yeah. You know, we yes. knew we wanted to talk about <laughs> smartphone technology. We knew we wanted to talk about this topic. And what a perfect opportunity to bring you on, um, you know, to be in conversation with us on this. And I know you were being very humble at the beginning, but I think you are one of the top experts on this. So thank oh you for, uh, for showing that <laughs> today you. and for contributing to this. I think it's important then for me to name the fact that I would not be in dance film if if it was not for my mentor, my friend, my New York City godmother, and <laughs> doyen of dance film, Marta Renzi. Oh, yeah, Marta. Yay, Marta. Exactly. She was the first person to hire me professionally after college. I've worked with her ever since. She introduced me to dance film, got me on the scene. I would not be, I wouldn't be sitting here. It it was because of Marta that I looked around at the 92nd Street Y and I said, why why is there no dance film here? 92nd mm-hmm. Y is there no dance film? Exactly. And <laughs> you know, and so I have to say that I have to shout out Kara Hagen again. She and I yes. have had some incredible conversations around dance film and she is just an inspiration to me always when it comes to curation and I my the the very 
you know, the handful of conversations we've had together about dance film have really helped shape me as a curator and presenter of this work. So I wanted to name those women who mean mean a lot to me, Marta and Kara. Um, if, If I have any expertise, it's because of filmmakers like them. Uh, women like them in the field, for sure. And the three of you, let's just say, like the fact that the fact that I get to be here doing this, the fact that you got the fact that you put this podcast together for the field, for this community, like it means so much. I think the community aspect of this, I think we get really wrapped up in the films and the filmmaking and the festivals and all that, but the the community is strong and like yes. and passionate and talented and moving in the right direction which is a lot we're not so uh i feel like we're not such an old rigid institution entrenched in our old school values that some of them maybe got to go like we don't have a lot of that baggage which is amazing and i feel like we get to learn from so many other sectors because we are We're not that young, but we're just, you know, now we're a tight knit group of people that are spread out and really amazing with different backgrounds. So I do think that, you know, your examples you provided are prime, you know, like we have so many amazing people doing incredible work, you know, filmmaking, curating, and as you said, dealing with those cultural aspects as well and the actual um, human element, which is, I think, what draws a lot of us to this hybrid medium is you have you have a way that the, the form that is made of of humans themselves and also the, the easiest way for us to document reality that's, I, I think, kind of the most accurate. You know, it's, a, it's frame form, both the body and the scream. Shout out to <laughs> Hannah for coming up with the brilliant yes. name for the podcast. Work, yeah. There's nothing more human than moving and um, the fact that we get to be around that and document it and make art with it is is just so great, for lack of a better word. <laughs> thank you for digesting it with us today. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you so much for sharing just your incredible perspective and, again, like your incredible lens on how, I mean, just even seeing just how the film, feel this shifted so thank you so much oh my gosh thank you well andrew where can uh the audience find you uh, beyond this episode well the mobile dance film festival at the 92nd street y harkness dance center we are currently in our submission period for the fourth year Submission period is open until May 31st. You can find us on our website, 92i.org slash Mobile Dance Film Festival. You can find us on Instagram at Mobile Dance Film Festival. Again, yeah, submission period until May 31st. Biggest requirement, your film must be shot solely on a mobile device can be edited any which way. Make sure you have the rights to that music and sound. <laughs> yes. Ooh, you better. Send us send us downloadable links. Change your settings on your Vimeo. The jury will take the month of June to make official selections. We'll announce official selections at the end of June, beginning of July. And we will have virtual, maybe some kind of in-person <laughs> something. Maybe with the shoulder shammy, maybe. maybe. With, I'm shifting my shoulders and my voice is going on. <laughs> there will be some sort of, there will absolutely be a virtual screening option. The last Saturday of July is what we have historically done for the festival. So the last Saturday of July will be the festival. There will absolutely be a virtual option. We are figuring out what we can do to have in-person something. So stay tuned on that, but definitely find us online. Find us on the website, 92i.org slash Mobile Dance Film Festival. Find us on Instagram at Mobile Dance Film Festival. And if you're shooting a film on a mobile device, we hope you consider submitting and joining the Mobile Dance Film community. Fantastic. I love it. 
And all of this information will be in the show notes, listeners. So please take a look at that wealthy amount of info that Andrew has provided. But other than that, thank you, Andrew, for coming on here and just sharing you. Oh, I mean, the pleasure is really all mine. I could do this. Let's do this again. Let's do it again. I'm with you. (laughs) I'd love to be back. All right. Well, we'll do it again next Wednesday, listeners. We'll see ya. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. Mix and theme song by myself, Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.